Welcome to This is the Bad Place, a podcast about the NBC TV show The Good Place and the journey of two ex-evangelicals leaving white evangelicalism. Welcome to episode two of This is the Bad Place. We're very excited today to talk about season one, episode two called Flying. Um... I'm happy to be here, Crispin. I feel like we should reintroduce ourselves just in case there's new people here. I'll go first. I'm Dio Mayfield. I'm a writer and um, ethical gadabout. I don't know. Is that a thing? <laughs> sure. <laughs> um, I'm a late diagnosed autistic non-binary person who tried very, 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 very hard to make Christianity good because that's what I was born into and indoctrinated into as a child. In the 1980s, rural America. What about you? Oh, and I'm also married to you. Yes. Uh (laughs) I'm Crispin Mayfield. I'm a therapist, specifically a couples therapist that focuses on attachment science. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was a missionary kid, so I grew up overseas in a ministry setting uh, in white evangelicalism. Um, And... uh, unsurprisingly, have also spent a lot of my life um, trying to figure out how to make Christianity good. Mm-hmm. Um, that was sort of our life together for a while. And now we're talking about how it all fell apart. Yeah. So we were raised in a context where we were basically told we were born into the good place here on earth, which was white evangelicalism. And that if we prayed a prayer when we were six years old and committed our lives of undying service to God, then we would also get into the other good place, which is heaven when we died um, and be surrounded only by people just like us. So that was our life. And both of us have walked away from that religious ideology. And we want to talk about it through the context of rewatching The Good Place. So there we go. So, as DL mentioned, we're going to talk about episode two, which is called Flying. And one of the parts of this episode is that the people get to fly because it's heaven. And uh, Michael, the angel who's the architect of the neighborhood, says, everybody has always wanted to fly. Is, mm-hmm. I, before we go into the episode at all, I need to know, is this something that you have always wanted to do? No. Me neither. Yeah. I think... I think... <laughs> One of the themes of this show is going to be like, we're going to always put things back to trauma. And I'm going to say like, whatever superpower you dreamed about having as a kid kind of speaks to your inner world um, experience. So the, the superpower I most wanted when I was a kid, I think was to be invisible, which is really sad. Mm, That is sad. Yeah. Yeah. And what about you? Uh, I wanted to be really fast because I was always really slow. I was always slow on bike rides. I was slow on jogging around in middle school. Like I was. You have the fumbliness of the ADHD. I will say. Uh Um. Right. So, yeah, it's funny because we were watching um, Good Mythical Morning recently. Some YouTubers and they were saying that flying is the most selfish superpower to want to have. That's what Link. Neil was saying? Uh-huh, yes. yeah. Uh-huh. Right. And what were his reasons again? Uh, because it doesn't really help anyone except you. And uh, because it's so fun, everybody wants to fly, which I go back to. Like, I think we're two sensitive people, like, that 
I know for me, I'm like, I don't want to fly. That sounds too scary. That sounds too overwhelming. I generally have hated roller coasters. It sounds like a worse version of a roller coaster to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's funny because I do think the episode has some interesting things to say about selfishness and using this concept of flying to get at that. Um, I will say, I feel like if we are talking about actual superpowers, like what would I most want to do, like say in a place like the good place, I would want teleportation. Mm. You know, I don't think as a kid, I knew that was an option on the list of superpowers, but if you could just be transported anywhere in the world instantaneously, wouldn't that be great? Yes. It's funny. That makes sense. Uh, When you first said it, I was like, that's just you being pragmatic. Like then you just don't have to drive. You don't have to, you know, you can just driving. Oh, I hate driving. Exactly. I hate travel, but I like being in other places. So it's the most convenient of the superpowers. I think teleportation. Yes. Okay. But it's not the most selfish evidently. So should I just read this synopsis of the episode? Yes. Hopefully people are watching along. You can watch us on Netflix and probably other places. Um, anyways, here's the synopsis of episode two called flying. So last episode, there was major chaos going on in the neighborhood, presumably because Eleanor is not supposed to be in the good place. Michael is on the verge of a breakdown because his neighborhood is not working. Chidi goes to work studying moral philosophers like Aristotle and Kant to ask himself if he should help Eleanor learn to be good so she can stay in the good place. Tahani organizes a cleanup crew and Chidi signs Eleanor up to join the crew to show that she's a good person. But then she takes shortcuts in the cleanup, which causes trash to fall from the sky. We see several flashbacks of Eleanor's life and her being selfish. At the end of the episode, She ends up cleaning up the trash because she feels bad, and it ends on a cliffhanger. Crispin, do you remember what the cliffhanger was? Yes. I can't remember the exact words, but something gets shoved under a door, right? Yeah, that says, like, I know you're not supposed to be here. Mm -hmm. It's funny. Neither of us are, like, perfect at taking notes, but basically, yeah, the cliffhanger is somebody else besides Chidi and Eleanor know that she's not supposed to be in the good place. She's actually a bad person in the good place. So that's, you know, that's mm-hmm. this episode in a nutshell. Yeah. So now we're going to go to our watch rewatch segment because we watched it seven years ago and now we're rewatching it. What do you remember watching it the first time? Yeah. So in 2016, when this aired, I remember just sort of being along for the ride. And I do think season one of The Good Place just has a ton of plot in it, right? So this is the episode where we're really introduced to Chidi being a professor of moral philosophy and some more information on Eleanor's bad personness in life. And I think I was just mostly vibing with Chidi and his stress around like I'm supposed to be in the good place and now I'm like in anguish deciding like is it wrong to help this person stay here when they're not supposed to be here. So I I guess I was just mostly tracking with Chidi's sort of mental anguish at like, what is the moral thing to do in that situation? Mm-hmm. What about you? What do you remember? I remember um, really feeling like I really appreciated Eleanor's character because she's in the good place. Like everybody there is perfect, theoretically. Um And she just sort of says what's on her mind, right? And she is selfish, Mm -hmm. but it's this element of, like, realness and, like, you don't have to perform. So I remember being really struck by that. It's kind of interesting because both the first and second episode aired on the first night. 
So you watch them back to back. But I remember this sense of like, okay, this is heaven. And it's kind of like similar to church in a way. This idea of like, you're in this place where everybody's supposed to be perfect. Everyone's supposed to like follow the rules. Everyone's supposed to not be selfish. And Eleanor is this person that is like, almost feels sort of comfortable in her own skin in a way. You thought all of this in 2016? <laughs> I remember feeling that. I'm I'm sure I'm embellishing the memory. Mm-hmm. But I do remember that vibe of like, she's like the only real person here. I mean, Chidi is, but like Chidi is so stuck on like, what's the right thing to do? It's like, yeah, this is like, that's kind of a miserable way to be. I would rather be like Eleanor than Chidi. How about now? Yeah, I think re-watching the episode, I'm really struck by a few things that I think are really the ethical heart of the show. Of course, I'm a little more interested in like the moral philosophers that Chidi mentions, like Aristotle and Kant, and just this idea of can people change, right? I think in 2016... When this episode aired, Donald Trump had not yet been elected, and I was definitely one of those people who thought it's probably not going to happen. Um, and since 2016, I think my view of humanity has become more and more pessimistic, and I'm not okay with that. And so, but so <laughs> I think rewatching this episode. The stuff about Aristotle saying, like, yes, virtues can be taught, people can change. I'm like, do I even believe that anymore? It's clear to me that Mike Shore does believe that, which is why he created this show. Um, So that's kind of mostly what I was focusing on. Yeah, I think for me, uh, I think part of what was I really identified with Eleanor the first time around of, like, I'm there's something really wrong with me. I'm not a good person. I'm not perfect. Um, this time around, I actually felt annoyed at her in the flashbacks often because... Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we, explain what they are. Yeah, so uh, basically, like, there's this series of, of flashbacks where Eleanor is supposed to be a designated driver and, like, cheats the system so that she never has to be a designated driver. So it really is this feeling of, of like, this is the person that's only thinking about themselves and they're really obnoxious about it. Yeah, it's interesting. Like, in the context of the show... It's like she's having these flashbacks, right, to her being a bad coworker, bad drinking friend, um, right? Yeah, uh huh, yeah. Okay. And it seems like she feels sad about it. She's starting yeah. to feel some remorse, which might be why she ends up cleaning up the trash because she's kind of reflecting on like, how did I live my life, right? Yeah. Yeah, we see a little bit of that. So it's kind of interesting because I feel annoyed. And even her feeling sad about it, like, I still feel annoyed. So that was what came up for me. Okay, yeah. Eleanor's character is really interesting because it is all over the map. Because she's just this, like, petite, white, blonde woman, you know, who's cute and says funny funnily selfish things in Mm -hmm. The Good Place over and over again. You know, like, one of the running jokes is like, well, in my defense... I just really wanted to fly, you know, which is not a defense at all. And then the flashbacks, you're like, yeah, this is a person that nobody would want to hang out with. Mm -hmm. And eventually her coworkers, you know, are like, if you do this one more time to us, like you're out of Thursday drinking night. Mm -hmm. Which, side note, as an autistic person who grew up solely in the evangelical church, I was like, none of this makes any sense to me. Uh -uh. There's coworkers, because Eleanor works at a terrible place. 
that scam seniors out of their money to get fake pills. They go drinking on Thursday nights and get so drunk that one of them needs to not drink so they can drive the other people. I'm like, none of this makes any sense. Do people really do this, Chris? I guess so. That has not been our experience. Yeah. I was like, am I? Okay. We're just not in the same circles as Eleanor. Right. Yeah. Because I was like, people who work at that kind of a crappy job, I don't think they're that worried about designated drivers. But who knows? Who knows? What were your favorite things about this episode? I don't know. Uh, I have like a big ethical thing I want to talk about. I don't know if that's a favorite thing. Okay. What are your favorite things? Uh, I love Jianyu, who we haven't really mentioned much because he doesn't say anything because he's a silent monk. Uh-huh. Um, but he's uh, Tahani's soulmate. Right. And he's just sort of there throughout the episode. And Tahani keeps on trying to get him to talk. She's like, let's say our favorite thing on the count of three. And then he doesn't say anything. Um, so even though he's not like a big part of the plot, he's one of my favorite parts because he's just this like silent monk that's sort of always there around and like it's it's just really funny to think of like he is in heaven in the afterlife and is still like yeah I would prefer to not talk is kind of the sense that we get yeah it's funny because I know like Ted Danson as Michael and Kristen Bell as Eleanor are supposed to be like the main draws, but I feel like every time Tahani and Jianyu are on, are on screen, I'm like really drawn to them, right? Uh-huh, I just feel exactly. like both of them, and even Jianyu is not saying anything. Um, it's very, yeah, it's, you're just like, this is so fascinating. Mm-hmm. I can't look away. Right, know? yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, there's definitely like this element of like kind of visual comedy that, that is really great with Jianyu. I also really liked that. Chidi has a, a blackboard as he's trying to figure out, like, should I help Eleanor or not? Um, and it looks like it's a pros and cons list. Um, but if you pause the episode and look at the background, it actually says questions on one side and fears on the other, which is sort of a good summary of Chidi's character. Questions like, and fears. Yeah. I only have questions or fears. Mm-hmm. Like, there's no pros. There's no, like, positive thing. Uh, one of the fears, um, under the list of fears, it says, can morality even be taught? Which I just like that that's like one of his fears. Is like, what if it can't be taught? Um, I also liked that uh, Tahani says that she's the goddaughter of Princess Diana. But she says like, I, my godmother Diana, like no need to know who she's the princess of. Yeah. Like just those little yeah, things this, like that. This is the beginning of Tahani... With all of her name dropping. Right. I mean, she also right? mentions Johnny Depp's private bird sanctuary that she's visited, right? I know. Are you ready for my fun fact? Yes. Johnny Depp is in the bad place. <laughs> I thought this was going to be from your research. <laughs> no. Just that. I just wanted to say that. Yes. Um, I love Tawny as a character. And yeah, we're slowly starting to see these people sort of fleshed out more. And Tahani is just a really fascinating person. So, yeah, I loved that about this episode, getting a bit more of her character. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we're at the This is the Bad Place segment. Is this where you want to bring up your ethical concern? Because this is the segment for ethical questions. Right. So my thesis is that every episode of The Good Place centers around a sort of existential or moral question that is putting out into the universe, you know, what would you say do you think is the theme of this episode? Uh, I was um, I was caught between two questions. One is, 
Um, can you be good if you're doing it to save yourself from the bad place, right? Like, is that possible? Like, can you actually be good? Like, can you make yourself be good if you have ulterior motives? Uh, which is connected to the other question, which is like, can you teach someone to be a moral person or is it just inherently who they are? Yeah. I, so I think it's the second one. That's what I think is the thesis of this episode. But I think it's interesting you point out the overarching conceit, at least of season one. Yeah. Is this reality of Chidi and Eleanor are two really different approaches to people who have kind of been taught that there are good people and bad people in the world. If you do certain things and if you agonize about being a good person and try really hard to be a good person, like then that's kind of how you gain game the system mm -hmm. or someone like Eleanor, who's like, it's unwinnable. I was dealt a bad hand of cards. So I'm just going to go through life doing exactly what I need to do to survive. Mm -hmm. And so I think, those are sort of the two main points. And then I think Tahani and Janya will see how they also deal with the point system of mm -hmm. good and bad people and the good adds up and the bad adds up. So I think that's the overarching theme of the show of at least season one and how that can corrupt our sense of morality, our sense of self and our sense of the common good, mm -hmm. which Chidi does mention the common good. And you told me, you were like, I think this is where you got the phrase, the common good is from watching The Good Place. And I was like, Crispin Mayfield, I got that from Catholic social teaching <laughs> Whoops. in the past several decades, <laughs> the concept of the common good. Okay. I did not get it from the show, The Good Place, but I am very drawn to that concept. And it's something I've been obsessed with, as you well know, for many, many years. So, um, yeah, but do we want to get into the the existential question of can you teach someone morality? Because I have some thoughts. At one point we were watching it together and Chidi says to Eleanor, you're simply too selfish. And you turned to me and you said, there's so much to talk about here. Uh -huh. So tell me. Okay. Well, I, I feel like this is going to be niche, but I'm not sure it is. So in this episode, they set up the idea that Aristotle believed that you can teach someone morality in that people can learn to be more virtuous, right? And they can learn to be self-aware and say, I have too much of this kind of personality. I can, so I can kind of try and compensate by doing other things. Right. I think for me, and I don't know if this is related to being autistic because I actually have talked to other autistic people. One of the biggest existential questions I currently have is I so badly want to believe that people can change and people can become better citizens better people um but there's this thing called narcissism that just stop stops me in my tracks and that's because i have a personal experience of being in close relationships with people who are at least somewhere on the narcissist spectrum and if and you know the the preliminary research I've done, and again, this is coming out of like my personal life and a need to figure out these questions. Um, you, you know, it's a very divided out there, Crispin. If you Google, like, can narcissists change? Um, and to me, that throws a wrench in this whole idea of teaching morality and teaching virtue ethics. If, if there's 
a, a minority of the population who simply can't mm-hmm. learn how to not be selfish. To me, that says then we have to sort of be able to adapt to that reality. It's and it's actually quite harmful to be like, no, no, no. Of course they can change if we just keep trying harder. If we just keep trying, because that's that's the reality of a lot of people who've been in relationship with narcissists. It's the hope that kills you. Mm-hmm. Um, and eventually, at some point, you have to walk away from expecting someone to change. So anyways, that's a lot. Do you have thoughts as a therapist yeah. in the mental health field? I mean, that is a huge question that we have as a field. A lot of times we do go to that piece of like, yeah, this is about trauma. Like this is, you know, if this person could heal their shame. On the flip side, there are lots of people that have very similar experiences of trauma and don't uh, harm the other people in their lives, yes. right? So, exactly. like, that's one of the questions that comes up. You can look at a person's story and say, like, it makes sense that they've become really selfish because no one was there for them. They learn, like, I just have to rely on myself. And yet there are lots of people who have grown up having to only rely on themselves and have also been able to, like, be considerate of other people's experiences. So I think it's a really hard question. It does seem to be the question that is being asked in this episode. I was really surprised to hear Chidi say that a lot of philosophers think people can't change. Like, I, I just assume that in general, we as humanity assume that people can, although... Again, that might be like the hope that kills you part. Well, I think that's why Aristotle's virtue ethics is, you know, the one that says people can change, Hmm. right? And that's why this, it's a foundational text, I think, for this show. I, I think growing up in white evangelicalism, what were you taught about this reality that people can change? Yeah, that it's not within yourself, but God changes you. Yeah, people don't really have the power to change is what I was told. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, God changes us, makes us, you know, predestines us to either be able to accept the truth or not. Mm -hmm. And then once you become a Christian, like you can try to be more godly. But that initial heart change that led you to become a believer in Jesus Christ. Yeah, it doesn't come from you Mm because you're a little worm you know not you're a little worm deserving of the bad place um and so god in his infinite wisdom grants you the ability to become a christian and i think that has really damaging effects and my personal thesis is that a lot of people and you know again this could come from trauma this could come from all sorts of things but people who develop narcissistic tendencies are really drawn to authoritarian and high control religions like white evangelicalism because a hallmark of narcissism right is the person like they don't have the ability to say like what i believe is true is not true for everyone else right Mm -hmm. narcissists don't do that and that can show up in so many ways so like this example in like psychology today right is a narcissist will be like i like chocolate ice cream more than strawberry ice cream and most people would be like yeah that's just my personal preference and a narcissist they create this whole world where it's like no chocolate is so much inherently better Mm -hmm. and you must believe that and if you don't like there's something really wrong with you and you must be stupid And narcissists, like, the whole thing is you have to join in their world that they've Mm -hmm. built and that they believe and that they see. And they have no ability, right, to understand, first of all, why people might not have the same beliefs as them. And they just have no curiosity about that. So 
I think what's interesting and what kind of troubles me a tiny bit about this show and this episode is that Eleanor is portrayed as having a lot of narcissistic traits. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, we're supposed to empathize with her. You know, she's humanized. And the whole point is she's like, no, I can change. I can change. I can change. And I feel a lot of tension with that. Mm-hmm. And my personal belief is that just for the sake of my own mental health, Mm-hmm. I have to believe that people can change mm-hmm. and that especially when it comes to just like the f- physical side of it, the biology of it, if if people can calm their nervous systems, I think we can start to unpack shame and trauma that leads to these extreme, you know, sort of presentations of narcissism at the same time there's a reason why people who do therapeutic work with victims of narcissistic abuse the number one thing they have to say to people is narcissists don't change Mm -hmm. narcissists don't change and and christian i i want your perspective because i have my own thoughts why do you think therapists who work with people who've been victimized by narcissists like that's the number one thing they have to say over and over again, especially in the beginning. Yeah, well, it's interesting because I'm listening to a training right now on narcissistic abuse with people, you know, experts that have been working with victims of narcissistic abuse, um, and their context is women that are in relationships with men that are narcissistic. Yeah, and I think I bring that up because that's such a good example of like that. Like in society, we have I think this idea, and she says even as therapists, we perpetuate this idea of like, this is a traumatized person, and if they could just heal, then they would treat you differently. And I think there are two different tracks in my mind. One track is, yes, this person can change, and they could change. That is possible. When I'm talking to someone who's in a relationship with them, I want to say there's no guarantee or signs that this person is going to change. Just because they can doesn't mean that they will. And you have to make a decision based on the information that you have up until this point. Is this relationship going to work or not? Okay, you're not really answering my question. And I think (laughs) that's because you are a therapist, but I'm Mm -hmm. not wrong when I say that most therapists will tell the person, like just blanket statements, Mm -hmm. narcissists can't change. And I feel like they have to say that because I think at the heart of, the human condition is we want to believe people can, and we will keep extending grace and love and empathy and all these things that the narcissist is not able to do. Like we will continue to extend that and continue to get victimized over and over again. Mm -hmm. And so for people who've been, you know, the victims of narcissistic abuse, it's so important to recognize that people most likely will not change. Mm -hmm. And, just that's just like a framework many of us have to start with. So both of us come from situations where we uh, had people in our lives and are growing up years, yes. right? I will say that okay. that my uh, yeah my my dad has a lot of narcissistic traits. Yeah, and so it's it's interesting to think about. At some point, you had to be like, I don't think this is going to change. And now I have to set some boundaries for mm-hmm. myself, right? Right, yeah. And the sad thing is, is when you're a kid, you never want to think that about mm-hmm. your own parent. And you will right. do a million billion things to convince yourself otherwise. And that's just true of most people. 
mm-hmm. in relationship with narcissists. They so badly want to see good, want to see change, want to see healing. And eventually you have to say like, this is most likely not going to happen. I think of this as our attachment system being hijacked. So uh, when it comes to like relationships and bonding and attachment, we have this drive to like ignore the things that are annoying or that are bad or that sort of thing, right? So that we can continue the relationship, which is generally a good thing. Like the things that uh, whether our partners or our kids do that like, you know, just um, really uh, bother us. But then this kind of ability to like let those things go um, for the sake of the relationship is a really positive thing, except when you're in this place where this person is actually really harmful they're really toxic, they're really abusive, and our attachment system is so primed to ignore those things. And so that's, to answer your question, as therapists, that's why it's so important to say like, hey, your attachment system, your desire for this relationship is going to continually say like, no, it's fine, it's fine, and it's not fine. I want you to pay attention to your experience. Right, because that's when you're in a relationship with a narcissist, it's all about their experience. So, yeah, okay, so maybe we're getting off the rails here, (laughs) Uh, but that is the—I think—that's the tension of this episode. That's what Chidi's struggling with, and the show is—is you know, I don't think this is too much of a spoiler, but Eleanor is just like, no, I can change, I can change, I can change. So that's gonna be like the arc of this season, and I do believe it, and I am tracking with it, but I'm just gonna say. After spending most of my adult life trying to communicate with people who have a lot of narcissistic traits, I'm just a little bit more like, uh. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I was thinking about like this idea of common good, and that really is the opposite of like a narcissistic power structure. Yes. Right? And so when you're talking about, you know, the narcissist is like chocolate is the best. Everyone needs to accept that, right? That's like makes me think about like Trump and mm-hmm. things like heteronormativity, right? Or like whatever it is, where it's like this is the way it is for me, or this is the way it is for my religion. Well, don't, right? exactly. Don't you think that white evangelicalism promotes narcissism? Yes, because that definitely. is exactly how they go through life. This mm-hmm. is the only way to be a person. This is the only truth. I believe it because I'm one of the best people in the world, and God predestined me to believe it. And if mm-hmm. you don't agree with me, you're an idiot. That is my life to a T. I didn't believe that, but everyone around me did. Mm -hmm. Well, I would say a lot of narcissistic leaders and like theologians uh, have that. I'm not, and and then I think there are a lot of people that are like brought in along that because they want to follow God, right? Or Or whatever Or they want to get into heaven. Yes, And they want to be a good person. These Mm -hmm. things that draw people like Chidi. So yeah, I I feel like we're going to keep talking about this. We got to get, we got to keep moving on. All right, we're at our next segment, which is you might have religious trauma if, which I did not know, just to go back to last episode, that this was a Jeff Foxworthy thing. <laughs> okay. I thought this just existed in okay. my brain. I just want to throw that out there. Uh, for me, it was, uh, you know, thinking about this episode, you might have religious trauma if you worried that any little thing you did wrong meant that you weren't going to get into the good place or you were wholly bad. So it wasn't even like this point system. It was like... Any little mistake that you made meant that there was something really broken about you. Yeah. How about you? Okay. You might have religious trauma if you, like Tahani, 
always felt like you were missing out on what other people were experiencing. I am thinking about when Jian Yu, you know, touches Michael and without saying a word, Michael suddenly is full of peace after being very worried about, you know, his project falling apart. And Tahani is just sort of sitting there being like, how can I experience this inner peace? You know, mm-hmm. uh, that just reminded me of growing up in church and everybody always talking about feeling the love of God or speaking in tongues or being slain in the spirit and poor little autistic me, it just felt nothing. And, you know, I learned to internalize there's something wrong with me. And you can kind of see that happening with Tahani, her having to have these appearances of like, I love my soulmate who doesn't talk and I totally feel at peace and I love being silent and you know it's just Mm -hmm. I I just kind of resonated with her yeah all right now it's time for DL's fun facts fun facts okay you had your own fun facts that you wanted to say but I'm gonna do mine first okay okay so we already talked about Tahani name dropping people she name drops three people in this episode Princess Diana, Johnny Depp, and do you remember the last one? Maggie Smith. No. Oh. Cindy Crawford. Oh. Which is so weird. Okay. Um, but here's a fun fact is that before acting in The Good Place, Jamila Jamil, who plays Tahani, had never acted before. And like this was her first ever audition is when she auditioned for The Good Place. <laughs> and they were in the casting agent was basically like, She's like a giantess and so beautiful and so overwhelming and just kind of scared everybody mm. with her beauty and intensity and all that. And um, she really does know everybody. Like she knows Beyonce, Jay-Z, like in real life. Oh. And she's a media, she was a media <laughs> presenter in England. Oh, okay. That um, is so, so anyways, funny. I just thought that was really funny. Um, you already mentioned that, you know, during Chidi's ethics lessons, right, he has this chalkboard mm-hmm. and I thought it was very fascinating. All the things on there. I took a picture and, we, and we'll post that on our Instagram. I don't know if you noticed it, but under some of the questions, right, you already mentioned one of them. Can you teach someone to be more moral? Something like that. Uh-huh. One of the questions um, is there's a possibility that this is a test for me or her or others, uh-huh. um, which is just interesting. And then for my last fun fact, do you want to hear a list of all the books that she either mentions or that are on his desk that Eleanor picks up and reads mm-hmm. in this episode? Okay. First we have the metaphysics of morals by Immanuel Kant. Then we have the Nicomachean ethics by Aristotle. I probably did not pronounce that right. We have On the Way to Language by Martin Heidegger. Heidegger? Mm. The Concept of Time by Martin Heidegger. And The Methods of Ethics by Henry Sidgwick. Now, for this fun facts segment, I was going to like read a Cliff Notes version of each of these books and talk to you about that. But guess what? I don't want to do that. I started doing it. They're very boring to me. I love thinking about like real-time ethics, like the ethical question of can narcissists change? Like I spend so much of my time thinking about that. I do not spend a lot of time thinking about language as the means of being or whatever Heidegger right. is obsessed with. You know what I mean? I'm so, so glad because I thought we were going to have a Chidi and Eleanor moment where you talked about nerdy things and I was like, I was no, not No, I'm leaning into my Eleanor and I'm just like, Good. nerds. 
Yes. Listener questions. So just a reminder, you can always email us a voice memo or call us at the number that's in the show notes. Uh, We love to hear from y'all. And today we have a listener question from Susanna. Hi, Kristen and Danielle. My name is Susanna. And um, if I'm honest, I'm still evangelical in many ways, but I have so appreciated your journey and your podcast. I'm just calling with some thoughts about The Good Place. I remember even just seeing ads for the show before I watched it. As an evangelical, I was so struck by Eleanor's line, I'm not supposed to be here, here being the good place. And as an evangelical, my first thought was, oh, honey, none of us are. And that just makes me think, what does it do to our psyches, not just as evangelicals, but in our broader cultural conception of heaven and hell, if so many of us believe that we don't belong in a good place, that we're not supposed to be there? Where does that come from, and how do we process that? Thank you again so much for your podcast, for your work. Looking forward to this series and everything else that you're doing. Oh, my gosh. Well, that's such a big question. First of all, thanks, Susanna. (laughs) Yes. I mean, one of the things that came up as I was hearing this was like, I was always told growing up in this setting that everyone else thinks that they're going to heaven Mm -hmm. and they think they deserve to be there. And you need to tell them that they do not deserve to be there. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's true or not, like widely. I will say as a therapist, um, my my experience of the general population is not that – Everyone is walking around being like, I, I deserve good things. You know, I'm a good person. I'm loved and I belong. Um, but yeah, I wonder about this idea, like where did it come from, this idea that we're bad? I think a lot of it is just like the Christian history of Western civilization is my guess. Like thinking about uh, like Jonathan Edwards talking about how we're like spiders held over the fire. Like that is part of our American culture. So that's kind of where my brain goes. From, from his sermon, so there's mm-hmm. something in the name of God. Yeah. I think for me, just you know, now that I know that I was autistic, right, and, and sometimes autistic people, right, have this tendency towards being literal-minded, I, of course, with my dad being a pastor, my mom being obsessed with religion and um, all of that, there, there was, I got all of the doctrines of original sin, but I was mostly fixated on them saying like, if you give your life to Jesus, like you're in, that's it. It's grace. It's grace. It's grace. Like that's all you do. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. So I, so from like very early on, I was like, well, I'm in, like I'm in, I said this, I was baptized when I was six, like made my parents happy, dedicated my life. And I, I always knew I was going to serve God with everything since Jesus had paid the full price. But I didn't obsess over this idea that I was bad at my core because I was like, but I did what they said. So I am forgiven and I definitely deserve to be in heaven. But the older I got, the more I was transfixed with this idea of being a missionary because I didn't think it was right that just a select minority of people get to go to the good place. I was just like, well, everybody needs to go. And so I will spend the rest of my life trying to convince people to do that. And that's how I dealt with that ethical thing. I think though, taking a step back, and this is something I'm working on in therapy, I've I've put myself in really, really, really hard situations for many, many years now. And I'm not going to go into the particulars of any of that. But my therapist has pointed out like, you might be recreating some childhood stuff by surrounding yourself with people who 
do not like you, are not kind to you, are abusive towards you, where you don't experience joy, you don't experience pleasure, you can't be your real authentic self. Um, and so in many ways, I've cre- I've put myself in situations that created me the kind of anxiety that Chidi lives with, you know, the anguish, the stomach aches, the headaches, the pain, like I, I've put myself in a lot of bad place situations, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's what I felt like I deserved at my core. And so now as I'm moving towards more health, when people do treat me well, when I am experiencing joy and all this, I'm like, oh, this is a strange feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty sad. Mm-hmm. So I, I guess there's two ways of answering that question. Yeah. I yeah. think trauma predispositions you to believe you are rotten at your core. And that can either show up in, yes, I don't deserve to go to heaven, or it can show up more practically in, I don't deserve to be treated well by the people around me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I resonate with that so much. Um, and I was always that person that was like, had a lot of shame and feeling like, yeah, I'm going to be allowed into heaven, but I'm not really wanted there. You know, mm-hmm. I definitely, I mentioned this in the last episode. I feel a lot like Eleanor, uh, like I'm going to show up, but I'm going to be the the broken one. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be the one that annoys everyone, etc. cetera. Mm-hmm. We're not diagnosing the character of Chidi with autism, um, but... He obviously has an anxiety disorder. I would say he seems to have ethical OCD. Mm -hmm. I also have ethical OCD and moral scrupulosity. And even though there needs to be so much more research about this, you know, autistic people, like 80% of us have an anxiety disorder Mm -hmm. and almost 20% of us are diagnosed with OCD. So there's these huge overlaps there. Um, And so, yeah, I've spent much of my life just my mind being tangled up in these questions of how to live a good life. Do you have an example of a moral rule that I've been inflexible about? Are you talking about when our kids don't finish drinking their water and you have to go pour it out on the garden? Yes. Or do you mean like that we needed to send our kids to the uh, one of the worst schools in the state because all kids deserve good education? Uh Uh-huh. Are those good examples? Sure. What, yes. Two great examples. I'm worried about, <laughs> like, I don't want to put you on blast. I was like, there's a million more. Those, those two are fine. Yes. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. For you, what, like, what do you think, what has caused the most distress for you internally? Oh, I, I mean, it just depends on the day. I think I've shared the water cup one before because it's just a funny one, right? Mm-hmm. But yes, like, I'm obsessed with water usage Mm -hmm. and shortages and (laughs) 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 and to that point i agree with mike shore that i hate arizona because it's one of the least sustainable places to live due to how they use water Mm -hmm. and they are coming up on a crisis Mm -hmm. um so let's just stick with that (laughs) i do think (laughs) (laughs) i do think that this this idea of the internal anguish right this this episode is focused on eleanor and and can eleanor be a good person can she change can she be Mm -hmm. ethical but I think the shadow side, the, uh, the the other part of this is like, how is it working out for Chidi to be a good person? Yeah. Does he seem happy? Yeah. No, he does not. So maybe we're all screwed. He thought, <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a certain misery in doing everything right and mm-hmm. still having a tummy ache. Yes. And that's been my life. I was going to say, it sound, the way you say that, it sounds like it's coming from personal experience. Maybe. <laughs> 
maybe. <laughs> Let's wrap this oh, wait. up. I have one more. F- I have one more thing to say. Okay. I just want to. I just want to say like this whole show is so about the mind and the bot, not the body. And it's about these ethical questions we think of in our minds. One thing that really stood out to me is in episode two, it is established you cannot die in the good place. Right? Those two guys, the... Um, oh, right. Yeah. Uh-huh. The dumpster falls on them and then they just pop up and they're like, oh, yeah, you can't die here. And I was like, ah, so we're setting up the rules that this really is not an embodied concept at all and this is just moral philosophy in the mind how to be good which again i'm moving in my own life moving towards health for me involves being less of a cheating and being more in my body mm-hmm. and so i just thought that was interesting to point out you can't die in mm. this and and this so therefore the stakes are just about what we think yeah. about if people can change if we can think our way to being a good person or mm-hmm. not i mean yeah there is really this like feeling like this is all a facade in the sense that michael is in a skin suit that's not what michael actually michael doesn't actually look like ted danson which is why he talks about like leaking instead of sweating sorry mm-hmm. i'll cut that part no it's fine um you know uh, yeah, Michael's like, why am I leaking? And it's and Janet's like, oh, you're sweating. And it's a reminder to us that like we see Michael as a person, but he's not actually yes. a person, right? And even the whole like neighborhood being constructed is, you know, you kind of have this sense of like this exists nowhere, right? Yeah. The good place doesn't actually exist in physical reality. It's where these souls go to be. Yeah. So I think that's a really good point. I want to wrap this up. Mm-hmm. Uh, with uh, this is the good place. So, what's something that's giving us hope in humanity these you days? You have to go first. Okay. Um, it is at the time of recording. It's Pride Month, mm-hmm. and that has been really encouraging to see um, the various people in my life um, on on various levels, family members, um, clients, just feeling like, oh, there's space for me to think about the queer ways that I show up in the world. Um, And I I mean, I'll just acknowledge, like, we live in Portland. We live in a place where that's celebrated. And so even though um, there are terrible things going on throughout the U.S. or in anti-trans bills, I feel a little bit of hope of, like, there are at least some enclaves where we're able to celebrate this. And, uh, and so that's been really exciting for me. Great. For me, what's giving me hope is romance novels. I am in a phase where I'm really loving them. I specifically love romance novels that have something to do a little bit with the Regency period in Jane Austen, but are different. So I want to shout out a book I read that I just adored. It's called Half a Soul by Olivia Atwater. And basically, it's described as being Pride and Prejudice meets Howl's Moving Castle. And I loved it. And I like romance because good things happen to people, especially women. And that is something I need to read more of. So Mm. there we go. Yeah. Well, I'm so glad to end on that note. Again, please send us your questions, comments. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to continue including that in the episodes. And if you want to talk about spoilers related to the episodes, please send those in. Once a month, we're going to be doing a whole spoiler sode. I have so many things to talk about that we couldn't talk about here. Um, So send us your questions and comments about things that maybe are a little spoilery. 
Yeah. Okay? We right. love it. Yeah, those come up in these episodes sometimes, and I'm like, all right, cut that, like, put it to the side. We'll uh-huh. use it later. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, there's a lot to talk about um, on the spoiler side of things. And just a reminder, you can join our Patreon to get access to those and also a Facebook group to be talking about those things. So always want to mention that. We will be back with episode three in a couple of weeks. Take it sleazy. This has been an episode of This is the Bad Place, a special season of the Prophetic Imagination Station podcast. You can follow the podcast on Twitter and Instagram by searching Prophetic Imagination Station Podcast. You can find us on the web at propheticimaginationstation.com. You can leave us a voicemail at 503-912-4130 or record a voice memo and send it to propheticimaginationstation at gmail.com. Join our Patreon community to hear two extra episodes a month and join our Facebook group to discuss episodes and more. And we hope you'll join us next time in the bad place. (laughs) 